The Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. This is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Judith Bishop about her new poetry book, Interval. Uh, Welcome to the program, Judith. Thank you, Di. So Judith is a poet, a translator and a professional linguist um, with a number of degrees from the USA and also a PhD in linguistics from the University of Melbourne. Judith's won quite a number of awards, including the Peter Porter Poetry Prize twice. And um, her first book event uh, won the Anne Elder Award in 2008. And now Judith's got a new book out called Interval. And uh, we'll be going to be reading a little bit from Interval. So tell me, how did you decide that uh, you finally had enough material for a, a second collection? Oh, that's an interesting question. So, um, as you'd know, the the two books were quite a quite a bit of time apart. Uh, so, Interval developed really in two phases. There were uh, initial poems about the children that came along after I had two two little girls, and uh, so that was kind of like the first phase of the book. And then I had a period of about a month in 2016 when I basically filled in the rest of it and decided what the structure would be and. Um, brought it all together it uh, fell into into the four parts that uh, you can see in the book and particularly the poems about technology and climate change came at that later period uh, when I had some time to read and reflect and think about what was important to me to say in this book. Tell me what are the themes in the book generally Uh, it seems to be quite cohesive what sort of how would you describe the themes? Yeah, there's a bit of an arc, um, starting from the poems about childhood and uh, and uh, growth and and so forth in those in those early poems, and then leading through to the poems towards the middle about about technology changes, uh, poems like tunings, um, and then ones about climate change, where I was really starting to feel that this particular period is is like an interval in time between perhaps um, an earlier period where climate change was not such a critical issue and now that it's becoming more and more so and we really have to start making decisions about what we do about it. I was feeling very much like this and then also about uh, developments in technology like machine learning and so on which are more and more coming to the fore and starting to impinge on our lives and yeah, I was, I was really reflecting on all of this and feeling that perhaps this is a point in time when um, we're just about to, uh, things are about to change um, quite rapidly. And so some of those poems in the middle came out of that feeling. And the third part of the third group of poems, which kind of framed the book, the start and the end are poems about love and human connection and communication and intimacy. And uh, those also felt important to ground to ground the book both at the start and the end with these uh, poems about love. Yes, and that's a, a beautiful summary. Um, and with climate change and you know the rapidly changing technology and the sense that we're on the cusp of something, um, do you have a feeling of where we are going? 
Uh, I, I think I'm still, I'm still like a lot of people coming to to grips with that. I think there's there's a lot that's going to be positive, uh, as always, in the scientific and technical um, technological discoveries that are that are being made at the moment. There'll be advances in medicine and so on that come out of machine learning that are are really going to make a big difference to our lives and possibly out of genetics as well. But you know, for all of these things, there's the uh, there's the positive and there's the potential for negative effects, and that's why I think it's it's just really important for us to to stay informed and to to think deeply and reflect upon the meaning of these changes um, before they really become a greater part of our lives. While we have this possibility of being aware and looking back and looking forwards, which is kind of part of the meaning of interval for me, is that uh, we have this period of time in which to to do both of those things, and uh, I think that's important. Great. Okay, well, let's start with the first poem in the book, Orbade. Orbade. You are the music while the music lasts. T.S. Eliot, The Dry Sauvage. Come near, let me sense you in this human way we have, for now and not forever. You, the skein of busyness in the bush air, all arousal, all heat. You, the ant, the beetle, and the blue-banded bee. Love, the shapeshifter, is on the move again. Starry, her neural and her chemical mess. Her dawning nakedness, a blessing for anatomists of what it is we are and why it is we feel like this. Love's ache, a lovely quarry, to be quarried in the body where once we hunted common sense, morality, the soul. But come, for we are dancing to the same song, you and I, a world within your bodies, and I a world in mine, and both of us desiring, and both of us in time. It's very beautiful. So it's a, is it a poem to a lover? It's it's a poem about love, but I, I actually did um, get the inspiration for this one walking in the bush reserve near my home and just feeling all this uh, kind of, I guess, erotic energy in the, in the air as all these creatures were busy around with their lives. So that's that's really what it came out of. Right, yeah. yeah. That sort of shared energy, I think that's what it's about, that we have this, but also other creatures have this sense of, yeah, um, what I've called desire, I suppose, in their lives, this this energy. Uh, love's ache, a lovely quarry, to be quarried in the body where once we hunted common sense, morality, the soul. Mm. Yeah, there's also the sense there I think I have that uh, we're starting more and more to understand uh, the chemical and neurological basis of some of the emotions and things we feel, so there's a bit of that. Uh, slight anxiety there perhaps as well about this what I call the dawning nakedness it's like how what will it be like when we understand more about you know the basis of love uh, does that does that take away something does it add something I, I'm not sure it's like any anatomy I suppose the more we understand it both uh, exposes things and and perhaps we also gain something from that understanding but yeah there's a bit of ambivalence there Yes. Well, I I don't believe that um, emotions and feelings and perceptions and observations will ever be 
entirely equivalent to a chemical formula. No, 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 I I agree with that. There's another couple of layers on top. You know, there may be the chemical formula, may be some kind of trace, but uh, it's not the substance. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. And um, you've got quite a few poems about climate change. I often feel that with our present-day politicians, there's a a sort of a cultivated obliviousness that they imagine they live in a world where their actions have no consequences and they're not in an environment. They're they're living in in an environment-free, you know, air bubble that is, you know, plastic-wrapped and so they don't perceive the world around them at all. Really, mm. yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think it's very easy to do, isn't it? In some ways, to just block out what we wouldn't don't want to know about. You know, it's too too much, possibly to take on. But just uh, there are other concerns that our politicians have that allow them to not think about these things. Yeah, but I mean, we all have a great responsibility to the planet and the future and yeah. uh, managing climate change and. And, uh, and and you've got another poem which reflects on climate change called Control. Would you like to read that? Yeah, thank you. Okay. Control. To see, as the astronaut does, the body of the Earth lying whole and resplendent in its swathes and veils, to hold the oceans and the forests in your gaze, measuring their hue, meaning density and depth, here jotting in a whale and here a bear, to imagine the paths currents forge around the earth, persuasions exerted by cold on warm water and the similar antipathies of saline and fresh, to picture the magnetic fields surrounding the earth as so many arrows in a flower of arcs, the troposphere and stratosphere, like a child's drawing of the sky in broad bands, horizontal strokes for stratospheric winds and swirly ones for tropospheric weather. All things on earth accounted for and all in their place. But no sooner is the picture drawn than the child wonders how to change it. Awake on our solar fabric, They are thinking of the problem of the sun. There is too much of it, or will be, in a decade or few, when a silent threshold of the air is overstepped and solar heat gathers more than it disperses. Were the child not asleep, she would paint a single coloured line to designate the zone dividing stratosphere from troposphere, then periodic rays to illustrate the quantity of heat rising to rejoin the enormity of space and thickets of rays for how the heat rebounded on the earth intensifies. She would rest her brush and think. She would think about clouds, how their coming ushers in a sudden chill. She would paint some heavy clouds, make them whiter, thicker, like a sheep's wool in winter, and lie down in their shade. A four-year-old child finds a frog in the grass. She carries it off to show her mother. It is young, alert, cupped loosely in her palms. 
Its tacky skin billows and sinks as it breathes. Almost at the patio, she stumbles. It falls beneath her foot. I look up to see a jetliner arrowing through clouds, having drawn its human cargo to the height of the stratosphere in which all weather ceases. Wakeful in that zone, one can tap the icy pane, tracing crystals as they flurry in the dark. There is a beautiful line in a drawing I have seen, sailing up from the ground and zigzagging through the exosphere where the earth ends in an ultraviolet curve and the universe enclosing it begins. It is a tale of heat. The line flattens at a hundred kilometers above, shooting in the space of only ten from immense sub-zero to the heat of lava. Shuttles come and go, taking animal and human life through that violent zone. Somewhere, too, in the breadth of time and space, is the girl holding out her empty palms. Very poignant. Yeah. Um, and a great uh, sort of contrast between this macrocosm and microcosm. You know, the bird's eye or plane's eye view of the earth and then the child's eye view of the frog. Yeah, it was important in this poem for me to um, reflect on the idea of representation as well, how even from when we're children we, we draw things, we design things, and then we can use that to manipulate and, and change uh, our vision. So there's that idea of of control in the, the child, you know, painting the heavy clouds in this wishful way of trying to change, trying to change things back. Um, there is this idea that we can whiten the clouds and, and reflect more sun and perhaps uh, yeah, mitigate some of the effects of climate change in this way. So I was trying to think through a child's perspective how a child might imagine this kind of process. Uh, I think these these things are all rather worrying, the bioengineering. But, uh, yeah, they're part of what our future might contain. It's a little bit sympathetic magic almost, you know, if I paint the clouds a certain way, I can change the clouds. Yeah. I I enjoy writing these poems which are uh, composed of parts which come together into a whole... So this was one of those poems, uh, probably as, as I read, I hope that those parts were, were clear. Uh, it might be clearer from, from the book on the page, but uh, yes, it's, it's a bit like a collage, uh, bringing things together. Great. Um, this is the 3CR Spoken Word Program. Uh, my name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Judith Bishop about her new book, Interval. Um, we're just going to go to some music um, and this is from the recording of Tubular Bells for Two and that's an Australian group that uh, is reproducing the album Tubular Bells um, and on tour around Australia and the world.
and this is the 3CR Spoken Word Program and my name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Judith Bishop about her new book, Interval. Um, Now we've just read um, some poems from the part one. Um, Now part two, you've got a couple of poems about maps. I'm a big bit of a map fan myself. I think they're always a really interesting, you know, vision of the world, Um, a past world or an imagined world. Tell me about these two poems. Yeah, no, I, I'm also very interested in maps. What what struck me when I was uh, starting to write this section of the book, I was looking online and I was finding a lot of these maps where they show the effects of climate change. So what it's what is going to happen to the coastlines, uh, where, which country is going to get hotter and be particularly affected by particularly affected by climate change and so it struck me that these are maps really that include time in a way that I hadn't seen before in historical or traditional maps these are these are maps about imagined futures and what might happen and that's that's a new element I think uh, that's come into the maps and I was all, all, always interested in representations um, as we talked a bit before and about how that allows us to perhaps control what happens a bit or at least imagine um, imagine what the futures might be through these representations. So there's a bit about that in, in these two poems about maps, Rising Tides and the new maps, Keep a Weather Eye. Uh, so perhaps I'll, I'll read those poems. Yes, please. Yes, yeah. thank you. Okay. Rising Tides. The maps exist. The children study them between the water cycle, time, and writing A to Z. The visions too exist. The maps are evidence of that. Thoughts have walked on promontories, lashed by future wind and rain, and swept the coast on wings of calculus, surveying in the brain all turning points and tipping points and sliding scales of no return. And they come back with maps. Rocks and ice are made to speak of time before the human world and their interpreters relay. Air bubbles from the ends of earth have told a million tales and all give rise to maps. These ghostly weeping maps showing coastlines new and late. For if not in line and colour, Not with telescopic zoom to zoom about the globe in moments. How could anyone begin to true the earth with its fate? It's a great jumping off point, isn't it? You know, to look at the maps and to see how they reflect on this changing world. Yeah, and how we we perceive it and how we imagine the future. Yes. I think the ghostly weeping maps uh, showing coastlines new and late, that's a lovely image, you know, giving this inanimate mm-hmm. thing its emotion of weeping, but which also refers to the encroachment of the rising water. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, a wonderful conjunction of images. Thank you. Anyway, well, let's go on to the new map keeps, the new maps keep a weather eye. Yeah, so this this poem um, had an interesting jumping off point. Um, I used some of the structure of Elizabeth Bishop's poem, The Map, a very famous poem, which is really more about the aesthetics of, of the map that she describes. 
Um, but I used some of the, the ways, the, the line legs, the stanzas, uh, some of the rhythm of those lines and, and overlaid them with my own poem. So it's kind of a, an overwriting, I suppose, of, of that original poem, which is there behind this poem. It's a palimpsest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a nice, nice image. The new maps keep a weather eye after Elizabeth Bishop's The Map. Bold shades of autumn leaf or blazing embers light, bright to extinguished, as if fires set in hearths huddled closely in the dirt were offset by pallid oceans with their artificial light. Are the colours fire signals to a planetary eye that, like Atlas, feels the weight of earth, foreseeing how the grief will be focused at its girth? Burgundy, past danger, a climate gone awry. The almost Africa of Greenland is startlingly red. Europe and Eurasia go galloping through daffodils in their ever-spring. There is nothing here to touch. Flat as time on a line, the map opens to the eye a dream of change. So fire's heat wavers as it rises to your hand. Countries, if you hover, leap up with a number that's badged to their name, like prisoners or players. The lower the number, the darker the colour, and graver the voice that makes the call. The countries ranged together seem to shout across the globe, You too? Really? Who'd have known? The oceans keep their counsel. They are sidelined from the picture by the stakes and how it's played, for only settlements can trade. But the waters that surround may undermine them any time. None have chosen where they stand. All the field comes prearranged, and the game will not be won by any group. The outcome is the same. Time is burning through the map. So this was another environmental map that yeah. indicated the future. That's right. With the, the um, different countries were colour-coded by the, the impact of climate change. So the darker red colours were the more, uh, the more severe impact and the yellow of the daffodils was more a lesser impact in this, uh, in this scheme. But it's all one world, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's right, that's right. And yeah, none have chosen where they stand. You know, no. we're all in this together. There's yes. no winners no, no. in this game. And what happens to Greenland? The almost Africa of Greenland is startlingly red. Yeah, I guess that, uh, that ice <laughs> may, not, uh, may not survive. Mm. A lot of warming. I mean, it's already it's already happening in the Arctic. Yeah, uh, that's true. Um, and uh, shall we go to section four? Oh. And uh, there's another poem, "Home," which I think mm. is rather rather sweet. Oh, I'll I'll read that. That's one of my my own favourite poems from this book. Mm. Uh, I wrote this after we moved to our to our house where we now are, and I had a wood fire for the first time in many years, and that was kind of really I I love just watching watching the movement of the fire and this uh, poem came out of that that experience 
also just feeling, I guess, in the way that um, ancient peoples must have gathered around their hearth, which was safety as well as as well as home uh, and the dark all around. I was feeling something similar. So that's what this poem talks to. Home. Be our hearts north, daybreak in our daughter's breath. Be the radiance that listens as we gather for the singing of the wood. Here is night, somewhere to someone fear is coming. Dark calls out the human animal. Somewhere in someone the animal runs forth. By night the wood sings. In its radiance we find ourselves altered. Somewhere in the night our hearts settle and the breath alone keeps watch. Mm. I love the breath alone keeps watch. Yeah, yeah that image of the breath going always into yes. the night. Yes, yeah. yes. And, you know, the idea of, again, sort of animating the inanimate night as... Um, Dark calls out the human animal somewhere and someone the animal runs forth. Um, I mean, that's very powerful. Yeah, I think that there's that contrast, isn't there, of the fear and the, and the security of home here mm. that uh, balances. And I think we might just have time for one more poem. Um, so the last poem is called As If. Uh, where did this poem come from, do you think? Yeah, this... Um this poem came partly out of reflecting on something that Chris Wallace said about my previous book, this image of there being perhaps a, a permeable boundary between the self and, and light, the way that sunlight affects us uh, it's, it's in this poem. It's something that uh, is important to me. Uh, but also in this in this poem is the idea of a meeting of minds, um, which is also elsewhere in the book, the way that sometimes we we read someone or we meet someone whose ideas and emotions just really resonate with our own. Uh, so that that was also something I wanted to write about here, uh, the love we feel when we feel that connection. Mm. So please read as if as if. As if there were nothing between the self and light, as if the only charge were positive. Sunlight on a cattery, laughing in the fur flying this way and that. As if the words well and bell were everything they mean to be. As if meeting souls the dearest sort were the lightest touch a mind's lips upon the other minds, like this. The way that sunlight floods the heart on certain days, paradox on paradox, a burning star that gives to human love its joyous countenance of now. So staggered by the light, we stagger brightened through the sun to try toward, toward, to world, toward this muteness so... A, a great reflection on permeability, isn't it? Um, as you were saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. Between between people, between ourselves and and the world we live in, that's 
that's an important theme for me in my poetry. Well, thank you for coming on the program today. Um, I've been talking to Judith Bishop. Um, her new book is Interval and it's available online and at readings and um, anywhere you have a good bookstore, sh- book you can have it ordered in. Um, so uh, thank you for coming in. Thanks so much, Di. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank Great. You. See you again. This has been the 3CR Spoken Word Programme.